Section 16 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan, Volume 1, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter 13. Excursion to La Antigua and the Pacific Ocean. San Pablo. Mountain Scenery. El Rio Pensativo. La Antigua account of its destruction an octogenarian the cathedral san juan obispo santa maria volcano de agua ascent of the mountain the crater a lofty meeting place the descent return to la antigua cultivation of cochineal classic ground ciudad vieja its fountain visit from indians departure from ciudad vieja first sight of the pacific alontenango volcan del fuego esquintla sunset scene masagua port of estapa arrival at the pacific on tuesday the seventeenth of december i set out on an excursion to la antigua guatemala and the pacific ocean i was accompanied by a young man who lived opposite and wished to ascend the volcano de agua i had discharged augustine and with great difficulty had procured a man who knew the route romaldi had but one fault he was married like some other married men he had a fancy for roving but his wife set her face against this propensity she said that i was going to el mar the sea and might carry him off and she would never see him again and the affectionate woman wept at the bare idea but upon my paying the money into her hands before going she consented my only luggage was a hammock and a pair of sheets which romaldi carried on his mule and each had a pair of alforgas at the gate we met don jose vidauri whom i had first seen in the president's chair of the constituent assembly and who was going to visit his hacienda at the antigua though it was only five or six hours distant senor vidauri being a very heavy man had two led horses one of which he insisted on my mounting and when i expressed my admiration of the animal he told me in the usual phrase of spanish courtesy that the horse was mine it was done in the same spirit in which a frenchman who had been entertained hospitably in a country house in england offered himself to seven of the daughters merely for the compliment and my worthy friend would have been very much astonished if i had accepted his offer the road to mishko i have already described in the village i stopped to see chico his hand had been cut off and he was doing well leaving the village we ascended a steep mountain from the top of which we had a fine view of the village at its foot the plain and city of guatemala and the lake of amatitan enclosed by a belt of mountains descending by a wild and rugged road we reached a plain and saw on the left the village of san pablo and on the right at some distance another village we then entered a piece of woodland and first descending then again descending by the precipitous side of a mountain with a magnificent ravine on our right 
to a beautiful stream at this place mountains rose all around us but the banks of the stream were covered with delicate flowers and parrots with gay plumage were perched on the trees and flying over our heads making in the midst of gigantic scenery a fairy spot the stream passed between two ranges of mountains so close together that there was barely room for a single horse-path by its side as we continued the mountains turned to the left and on the other side of the stream were a few openings cultivated with cochineal into the very hollow of the base again the road turned and then ran straight making a vista of more than a mile between the mountains at the end of which was the antigua standing in a delightful valley shut in by mountains and hills that always retain their verdure watered by two rivers that supply numerous fountains with a climate in which heat or cold never predominates yet this city surrounded by more natural beauty than any location i ever saw has perhaps undergone more calamities than any city that was ever built we passed the gate and rode through the suburbs in the opening of the valley on one side of which was a new house that reminded me of an italian villa with a large cochineal plantation extending to the base of the mountain we crossed a stream bearing the poetical name of el rio pensativo on the other side was a fine fountain and at the corner of the street was the ruined church of san domingo a monument of the dreadful earthquakes which had prostrated the old capital and driven the inhabitants from their home on each side were the ruins of churches convents and private residences large and costly some lying in masses some with fronts still standing richly ornamented with stucco cracked and yawning roofless without doors or windows and trees growing inside above the walls many of the houses have been repaired and the city is repeopled and presents a strange appearance of ruin and recovery the inhabitants like the dwellers over the buried herculaneum seemed to entertain no fears of renewed disaster i rode up to the house of don miguel manrique which was occupied by his family at the time of the destruction of the city and after receiving a kind welcome in company with senor vidauri walked to the plaza the print opposite will give an idea which i cannot of the beauty of this scene the great volcanoes of agua and fuego look down upon it in the centre is a noble stone fountain and the buildings which face it especially the palace of the captain-general displaying on its front the armorial bearings granted by the emperor charles v to the loyal and noble city and surmounted by the apostle st james on horseback armed and brandishing a sword and the majestic but roofless and ruined cathedral three hundred feet long one hundred and twenty broad nearly seventy high and lighted by fifty windows show at this day that la antigua was once one of the finest cities of the new world deserving the proud name which alvarado gave it 
the city of st james of gentlemen this was the second capital of guatemala founded in fifteen forty two on account of the destruction of the first by a water volcano its history is one of uninterrupted disasters Quote, in fifteen fifty eight an epidemic disorder attended with a violent bleeding at the nose swept away great numbers of people nor could the faculty devise any method to arrest the progress of the distemper many severe shocks of earthquake were felt at different periods the one in fifteen sixty five seriously damaged many of the principal buildings those of fifteen seventy five seventy six and seventy seven were not less ruinous on the twenty seventh of december fifteen eighty one the population was again alarmed by the volcano which began to emit fire and so great was the quantity of ashes thrown out and spread in the air that the sun was entirely obscured and artificial light was necessary in the city at midday quote. Quote, the years fifteen eighty five and six were dreadful in the extreme on january sixteenth of the former earthquakes were felt and they continued through that and the following year so frequently that not an interval of eight days elapsed during the whole period without a shock more or less violent fire issued incessantly for months together from the mountain and greatly increased the general consternation the greatest damage of this series took place on the twenty third of december fifteen eighty six when the major part of the city again became a heap of ruins burying under them many of the unfortunate inhabitants the earth shook with such violence that the tops of the high ridges were torn off and deep chasms formed in various parts of the level ground in sixteen o one a pestilential distemper carried off great numbers it raged with so much malignity that three days generally terminated the existence of such as were affected by it on the eighteenth of february sixteen fifty one about one o'clock afternoon a most extraordinary subterranean noise was heard and immediately followed by three violent shocks at very short intervals from each other which threw down many buildings and damaged others the tiles from the roofs of the houses were dispersed in all directions like light straws by a gust of wind the bells of the churches were rung by the vibrations masses of rock were detached from the mountains and even the wild beasts were so terrified that losing their natural instinct they quitted their retreats and sought shelter from the habitations of men the year sixteen eighty six brought with it another dreadful epidemic which in three months swept away a tenth part of the inhabitants from the capital the pestilence spread to the neighboring villages and thence to the more remote ones causing dreadful havoc particularly among the most robust of the inhabitants quote. Quote, the year seventeen seventeen was memorable on the night of august twenty seventh the mountain began to emit flames attended by a continued subterranean rumbling noise 
on the night of the twenty eighth the eruption increased to great violence and very much alarmed the inhabitants the images of saints were carried in procession public prayers were put up day after day but the terrifying eruption still continued and was followed by frequent shocks at intervals for more than four months at last on the night of september twenty ninth the fate of guatemala appeared to be decided and inevitable destruction seemed at hand great was the ruin among the public edifices many of the houses were thrown down and nearly all that remained were dreadfully injured but the greatest devastation was seen in the churches quote. Quote, the year seventeen seventy three was the most melancholy epoch in the annals of the metropolis it was then destroyed and as the capital rose no more from its ruins about four o'clock on the afternoon of july twenty ninth a tremendous vibration was felt and shortly after began the dreadful convulsion that decided the fate of the unfortunate city on the seventh september there was another which threw down most of the buildings that were damaged on the twenty ninth of july and on the thirteenth december one still more violent terminated the work of destruction the people had not well recovered from the consternation inflicted by the events of the fatal twenty ninth of july when a meeting was convoked for the purpose of collecting the sense of the inhabitants on the subject of the removal in this meeting it was determined all the public authorities should remove provisionally to the little village of la ermita until the valleys of jalapa and las vacas could be surveyed and until the king's pleasure should be ascertained on the subject on the sixth of september the governor and all the tribunals withdrew to la ermita the surveys of the last mentioned places being completed the inhabitants were again convoked to decide upon the transfer the congress was held in the temporary capital and lasted from the twelfth to the sixteenth of january seventeen seventy four the report of the commissioners was read and by a plurality of votes it was resolved to make a formal translation of the city of guatemala to the valley of las vacas the king gave his assent to this resolution on the twenty first of july seventeen seventy five and by a decree of the twenty first of september following approved most of the plans that were proposed for carrying the determination into effect granting very liberally the whole revenue arising from the customs for the space of ten years toward the charges of building etc in virtue of this decree the ayuntamiento was in due form established in the new situation on the first of january seventeen seventy six and on the twenty ninth of july seventeen seventy seven a proclamation was issued in old guatemala commanding the population to remove to the new city within one year and totally abandon the remains of the old one such is the account given by the historian of guatemala concerning the destruction of this city besides which i saw on the spot padre antonio croques 
an octogenarian and the oldest canonigo in guatemala who was living in the city during the earthquake which completed its destruction he was still vigorous in frame and intellect wrote his name with a free hand in my memorandum book and had vivid recollections of the splendor of the city in his boyhood when as he said carriages rolled through it as in the streets of madrid on the fatal day he was in the church of san francisco with two padres one of whom at the moment of the shock took him by the hand and hurried him into the patio the other was buried under the ruins of the church he remembered that the tiles flew from the roofs of the houses in every direction the clouds of dust were suffocating and the people ran to the fountains to quench their thirst the fountains were broken and one man snatched off his hat to dip for water the archbishop slept that night in his carriage in the plaza he described to me the ruins of individual buildings the dead who were dug from under them and the confusion and terror of the inhabitants and though his recollections were only those of a boy he had material enough for hours of conversation in company with the cura we visited the interior of the cathedral the gigantic walls were standing but roofless the interior was occupied as a burying ground and the graves were shaded by a forest of dahlias and trees seventy or eighty feet high rising above the walls the grand altar stood under a cupola supported by sixteen columns faced with tortoise shell and adorned with bronze medallions of exquisite workmanship on the cornice were once placed statues of the virgin and the twelve apostles in ivory but all these are gone and more interesting than the recollections of its ancient splendor or its mournful ruins was the empty vault where once reposed the ashes of alvarado the conqueror toward evening my young companion joined me and we set out for santa maria an indian village at two leagues distance situated on the side of the volcano de agua with the intention of ascending the next day to the summit as we entered the valley the scene was so beautiful i did not wonder that even earthquakes could not make it desolate at the distance of a league we reached the village of san juan obispo the church and convent of which are conspicuous from below and command a magnificent view of the valley and city of the antigua at dark we reached the village of santa maria perched at a height of two thousand feet above the antigua and seven thousand feet above the level of the pacific the church stands in a noble court with several gates and before it is a gigantic white cross we rode up to the convent which is under the charge of the cura of san juan obispo but it was unoccupied and there was no one to receive us except a little talkative old man who had only arrived that morning very soon there was an eruption of indians with the alcalde and his alguaciles who came to offer their services as guides up the mountain they were the first indians i had met who did not speak spanish and their eagerness and clamor reminded me of my old friends the arabs they represented the ascent as very steep with dangerous precipices 
and the path extremely difficult to find, and said it was necessary for each of us to have sixteen men with ropes to haul us up and to pay twelve dollars for each man. They seemed a little astonished when I told them that we wanted two men each and would give them half a dollar apiece, but fell immediately to eight men for each and a dollar apiece, and after a noisy wrangling we picked out six from forty and they all retired. In a few minutes we heard a violin out of doors, which we thought was in honor of us, but it was for the little old man, who was a titerero, or puppet-player, and intended giving an exhibition that night. The music entered the room, and a man stationed himself at the door to admit visitors. The price of admission was three cents, and there were frequent wranglings to have one cent taken off, or two admitted for three cents. The high price prevented the entrance of common people. The company was very select, and all sat on the floor. The receipts, as I learned from the doorkeeper, were upward of five shillings. Romaldi, who was a skillful amateur, led the orchestra, that is, the other fiddler, the puppet was in an adjoining room, and when the door opened it disclosed a black chamar hanging as a curtain, the rising of which discovered the puppet player sitting at a table with his little figures before him. The sports of the puppets were carried on with ventriloquial conversations, in the midst of which I fell asleep. We did not get off till seven o'clock the next morning. The day was very unpromising, and the whole mountain was covered with clouds. As yet the side of the volcano was cultivated. In half an hour the road became so steep and slippery that we dismounted and commenced the ascent on foot. The Indians went on before, carrying water and provisions, and each of us was equipped with a strong staff. At a quarter before eight we entered the middle region which is covered with a broad belt of thick forest. The path was steep and muddy, and every three or four minutes we were obliged to stop and rest. At a quarter before nine we reached a clearing in which stood a large wooden cross. This was the first resting place, and we sat down at the foot of the cross and lunched. A drizzling rain had commenced, but in the hope of a change at half-past nine, we resumed our ascent. The path became steeper and muddier, the trees so thickly crowded together that the sun never found its way through them, and their branches and trunks covered with green excrescences. The path was made and kept open by Indians, who go up in the winter time to procure snow and ice for Guatemala. The labor of toiling up this muddy acclivity was excessive and very soon my young companion became fatigued and was unable to continue without help. The Indians were provided with ropes, one of which was tied around his waist, and two Indians went before with the rope over the shoulders. At half-past ten we were above the region of forest and came out upon the open side of the volcano. There were still scattering trees, long grass, and a great variety of curious plants and flowers, furnishing rich materials for the botanist. 
among them was a plant with a red flower called the arbol de las manitas or hand plant but more like a monkey's paw growing to the height of thirty or forty feet the inside a light vermilion color and outside vermilion with stripes of yellow my companion tired with the toil of ascending even with the aid of the rope at length mounted on an indian's shoulders i was obliged to stop every two or three minutes and my rests were about equal to the actual time of walking the great difficulty was on account of the wet and mud which in ascending made us lose part of every step it was so slippery that even with the staff and the assistance of branches of trees and bushes it was difficult to keep from falling about half an hour before reaching the top and perhaps one thousand or fifteen hundred feet from it the trees became scarce and seemed blasted by lightning or withered by cold the clouds gathered thicker than before and i lost all hope of a clear day at half an hour before twelve we reached the top and descended into the crater a whirlwind of cloud and vapor was sweeping around it we were in a perspiration our clothes were saturated with rain and mud and in a few moments the cold penetrated our very bones we attempted to build a fire but the sticks and leaves were wet and would not burn for a few moments we raised a feeble flame and all crouched around it but a sprinkling of rain came down just enough to put it out we could see nothing and the shivering indians begged me to return on rocks near us were inscriptions one of which bore date in fifteen forty eight and on a cut stone were the words alejandro ivert de san petersburgo edvardo le page de inglaterra jose crosky de philadelphia f y l a d e l f y e vivimos aquí unas botellas de champaña el día veintiséis de agosto de mil ochocientos treinta y cuatro august twenty sixth eighteen thirty four it seems strange that three men from such distant and different parts of the world st petersburg england and philadelphia had met to drink champagne on the top of this volcano while i was blowing my fingers and copying the inscription the vapor cleared away a little and gave me a view of the interior of the crater it was a large oval basin the area level and covered with grass the sides were sloping about one hundred or one hundred and fifty feet high and all around were masses of rock piled up in magnificent confusion and rising to inaccessible peaks there is no tradition of this mountain having ever emitted fire and there is no calcined matter or other mark of volcanic eruption anywhere in its vicinity the historical account is that in fifteen forty one an immense torrent not of fire but of water and stones was vomited from the crater by which the old city was destroyed 
Father Remesal relates that on this occasion the crown of the mountain fell down. The height of this detached part was one league, and from the remaining summit to the plain was a distance of three leagues, which he affirms he measured in 1615. The area by my measurement is 83 paces long and 60 wide. According to Torquemada, and such is the tradition according to Padre Alcantra of Ciudad Vieja, this immense basin, probably the crater of an extinct volcano, with sides much higher than they are now, became filled with water by accumulations of snow and rain. There never was any eruption of water, but one of the sides gave way, and the immense body of fluid rushed out with horrific force, carrying with it rocks and trees, inundating and destroying all that opposed its progress. The immense barranca, or ravine, by which it descended, was still fearfully visible on the side of the mountain. The height of this mountain has been ascertained by barometrical observation to be 14,450 feet above the level of the sea. The edge of the crater commands a beautiful view of the old city of Guatemala, 32 surrounding villages, and the Pacific Ocean, at least so I am told, but I saw nothing of it. Nevertheless, I did not regret my labor, and though drenched with rain and plastered with mud, I promised myself, in the month of February, when the weather is fine, to ascend again, prepared for the purpose, and pass two or three days in the crater. At one o'clock we began our descent. It was rapid, and sometimes dangerous, from the excessive steepness and slipperiness, and the chance of pitching head foremost against the trunk of a tree. At two o'clock we reached the cross, and I mention as a hint for others that from the pressure of heavy waterproof boots upon the Douai du Pied, I was obliged to stop frequently, and after changing the pressure by descending sideways and backward, catching at the branches of trees, I was obliged to pull off my boots and go down barefooted, ankle deep in mud. My feet were severely bruised by the stones, and I could hardly walk at all, when I met one of the Indians pulling my horse up the mountain to meet me. At four o'clock we reached Santa Maria, at five the Antigua, and at a quarter past I was in bed. The next morning I was still asleep when Senor Vidauri rode into the courtyard to escort me on my journey leaving romaldi to follow i was soon mounted and emerging from the city we entered the open plain shut in by mountains and cultivated to their base with cochineal at about a mile's distance we turned into the hacienda of senor vidauri in the yard were four oxen grinding sugar-cane and behind was his nopal or cochineal plantation one of the largest in the antigua the plant is a species of cactus, set out in rows like Indian corn, and at the time I speak of it was about four feet high. On every leaf was pinned with a thorn a piece of cane, in the hollow of which were thirty or forty insects. 
these insects cannot move but breed and the young crawl out and fasten upon the leaf when they have once fixed they never move a light film gathers over them and as they feed the leaves become mildewed and white at the end of the dry season some of the leaves are cut off and hung up in a storehouse for seed the insects are brushed off from the rest and dried and are then sent abroad to minister to the luxuries and elegances of civilized life and enliven with their bright colors the salons of london paris and st louis in missouri the crop is valuable but uncertain as an early rain may destroy it and sometimes all the workmen of a hacienda are taken away for soldiers at the moment when they are most needed for its culture the situation was ravishingly beautiful at the base and under the shade of the volcano de agua and the view was bounded on all sides by mountains of perpetual green the morning air was soft and balmy but pure and refreshing with good government and laws and one's friends around i never saw a more beautiful spot on which man could desire to pass his allotted time on earth resuming our ride we came out upon a rich plain covered with grass on which cattle and horses were pasturing between the bases of the two great volcanoes and on the left at a distance on the side of the volcano de agua saw the church of ciudad vieja the first capital of guatemala founded by alvarado the conqueror i was now on classic ground the fame of cortez and his exploits in mexico spread among the indian tribes to the south and the cachiquel kings sent an embassy offering to acknowledge themselves vassals of spain cortez received the ambassadors with distinction and sent pedro de alvarado an officer distinguished in the conquest of new spain to receive the submission of the native kings and take possession of guatemala on the thirteenth of november fifteen twenty three alvarado left the city of mexico with three hundred spaniards and a large body of tlascaltecas cholotecas chinampas and other auxiliary mexican indians fought his way through the populous provinces of soconusco and tonala and on the fourteenth of may by a decisive victory over the quiche indians he arrived at the capital of the cachiquel kingdom now known as the village of tecpan guatemala after remaining a few days to recover from their fatigues the conquering army continued their route by the villages on the coast overcoming all that disputed their progress and on the twenty fourth of july fifteen twenty four arrived at a place called by the indians almalonga meaning in their language a spring of water or the mountain from which water flows situated at the base of the volcano de agua the situation says remesal pleased them so much by its fine climate the beauty of the meadows delightfully watered by running streams and particularly from its lying between two lofty mountains from one of which descended runs of water in every direction 
and from the summit of the other issued volumes of smoke and fire that they determined to build a city which should be the capital of guatemala on the twenty fifth of july the festival of st james the patron of spain the soldiers with martial music splendid armor waving plumes horses superbly caparisoned in trappings glittering with jewels and plates of gold proceeded to the humble church which had been constructed for that purpose where juan godines the chaplain to the army said mass the whole body invoked the protection of the apostle and called by his name the city they had founded on the same day alvarado appointed alcaldes regidores and the chief alguacil the appearance of the country harmonized with the romantic scenes of which it had been the theatre and as i rode over the plain i could almost imagine the sides of the mountains covered with indians and alvarado and his small band of daring spaniards soldiers and priests with martial pride and religious humility unfurling the banners of spain and setting up the standard of the cross End of section 16.